Jesus, I will call. Incline your ear to me anew, and hear my cry for mercy, Lord. Where you to count my sinful ways? How could I come before your throne? Yet full forgiveness meets my gaze. I stand redeemed by grace alone.
Well, good morning, church family. Delighted to be with you today on this Memorial Day weekend. And uh, at this time, all the, the announcements can come uh, very hot and heavy on Sunday morning. So if you're visiting for the first time and you don't get our Friday email, a very good thing to do would be to fill out that welcome card and drop it in one of the kiosks in the back or hand it to uh, one of uh, someone who works here, Kathy or, or Lisa, and then you'll get the Friday updates and know exactly uh, what is happening here. And we'd love to get to know you better and, and you can uh, think about how best to, to plug in. And happy Memorial Day to you. You know, I, of, of all that we hear in the news these days, I am just so thankful uh, for our country, for the United States of America, uh, through no um, credit to myself to be born here. What a great privilege is ours to be born uh, in, in, this, in this land. And, and this weekend to give thanks, to remember those who've laid down their lives so that we can freely assemble, uh, so that we can worship the one true God. And so may we be those who posture ourselves, though it is unfashionable these days, to be thankful for America and the United States and those who've given their lives for our freedoms. Now, in that thread of, of uh, thinking democratically, I want to call the members to vote that we're in the middle of our uh, process as congregationalists. If you remember, uh, we've got some issues on the ballot, the budget, a new pastor, some of the elders. We really like the members to vote because we want to move forward in unity as the church grows. And we're thinking about, you know, in these times, taking on uh, more ministry. We'd love you to do that. If you have any questions or a check in your spirit, I'd love to talk through that with you. You can call the church, uh, questions about anything's on, on the ballot, but it shouldn't take very long. You would have gotten an email uh, yesterday as a reminder. We'll send another one out. So please, if you're a member of our church, vote one way or the other on the issues. It, it is anonymous. Only Kathy Mack sees the results. We know if you voted, but not how you voted. So please feel at liberty between you and God to do that. But if you are a member, please vote. As things, this, uh, all the restrictions, of course, are lifted on June 2nd. And so what we'd like to do is kind of reinstitute our hospitality ministry, uh, which would include, you know, coffee and more opportunity to mingle in the lobby, which is important because so, uh, cultures are social. And so we'd love volunteers uh, to, maybe you can make coffee at one of the services once a month, something like that. Please uh, contact Kathy or Lisa, and we could use volunteers at every level, children's ministry, greeting ministry, uh, Please, uh, if you're so moved to do that, we could really use your help. We'd love, again, every member to serve the church in some way doing something. So volunteers, we could, we could definitely use your help. The workday, June 5th, coming up, a bit of a Providence tradition. This upcoming Saturday, 8.30 to noon. And uh, we'll be doing things like just cleaning the windows and planting flowers and moving rock. And I myself will be in the East Ditch uh, with the Weed Whacker. So all kinds of jobs to do. And it's a great uh, way to get to know others, to link arms. So the Providence Workday, if you're free, Saturday, June 5th, 8.30 to noon. And we probably end early. Clothe the Kid, one of our uh, few fundraisers uh, type things that we do every year. More than not really a fundraiser, but a, a contribution of goods to needy children in our county. And so what we do is we'll, we'll there's a sign up that's been sent out to you by Dawn and then also in our main email. And what we'll do is we'll sign up uh, to send goods to those who, who need those goods in Lorain County. And we wanna know how many kids we can take on as a church family. How many kids can we help? We do this every year, it's always a big hit. So clothe the kid, June 14th is the cutoff. Uh, you can email the church if you've lost the link, but all we're asking for at this point is a way of going on and uh, identifying what you'd like to contribute for those who are in need in our county. 
Finally, thanks to Don Garrett, we have the greatest VBS I know of. And uh, so June 14th to 18th is VBS, and the signups are going great. And so if there's someone you know, you say that would be a very good thing to invite a, a, fr a friend to, and uh, it'll be a great weekend, uh, or a week, I should say. So June 14th to the 18th is VBS. Signups due June 6th. It'll be a great time. I myself uh, surrender to the Lord at a vacation Bible school at Fellowship Bible Church many, many years ago. So great ministry. Please uh, take advantage of that if you have school-aged children. So those things being said, we now are going to turn our attention uh, to the reason we're here, and that is to bring glory to God that we are his called out covenant community in this time in this place, and that we are to glorify and worship him. Uh, and we have much to be thankful for as to what he's given us in the Lord Jesus, who is the supreme king of all. So Pastor Ian, if you'd call us to worship. Amen. Well, in that spirit, let's stand together to begin our time worshiping the king and let's approach his throne of grace. Father, we confess you are truly the God of all. You are the one robed in majesty and the splendor of holiness. In your throne room is a brilliance and endless worship. The angels cover their faces at the sight of your holiness. And Lord, yet you determined to send a son, and not just any son, the Son of God. And he came, he lived as a man, fully man, fully God, obeying you at every point, always doing what pleased you. And because he fulfilled all the work that you gave him to do, he offered his life on a cross. He humbled himself. He became nothing, a servant to sinners, a sacrifice for sin. And you laid upon him the sin of us all. And that sin was crucified, died, and was buried. And on the third day, Christ Jesus, by the power of his spirit, was raised according to the scriptures. And he appeared to many saying, Shalom, the same peace that we have this morning, one, uh, ones who've been cleansed by his blood, whose sin records have been wiped away, never to be remembered by the Holy of Holies. Father, help us to tremble and to fear at the thought of your grace. Thank you, Lord, that we can sing this morning the truth of your word, that we can sing it to you and you alone, that you delight, you inhabit our praises, and you continue to build your kingdom on the earth through your church in whom the Spirit of God dwells. And so, Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, to remember the glorious gospel that your Son has delivered and achieved on our behalf. And may there be a joy, a resounding joy in us that it is finished and we have the hope of heaven this morning. We thank you, Father, for Christ Jesus is in his name we pray. Amen. Let's sing of his grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon.
to confess together as we much need in our day. And today we are in Psalm, Psalm 147. So let's say with joy together, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. 
He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. A steadfast love we find chiefly in God the Son, who demonstrated his love in us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He bore our shame. And now we are his, we belong to him. We've been purchased by his blood and sacrifice. And so we have the joy of professing together that Christ is ours forevermore. Hope this morning, hope tomorrow. Let's sing to him. Why in our days that God has numbered, I was made. Walk with him, yet I look for worldly treasure and forsake the King of Kings. But mine is hope in my Redeemer, though I fall, his love is sure, for Christ has paid for every feeling I am. The king I walk for them. 
You may be seated. Good morning. That's good. You guys are ready to go this morning. Um, I'm Rick Garrett, an elder here at Providence. This is my wife, Dawn, who's the director of children's ministry. Anything going on in June, Dawn? Thank you for asking, Rick. There oh, okay. is. <laughs> Austin did mention it a little bit ago, but uh, we have one of our biggest outreach events coming up June 14th through 18th, and I just wanted you to um, pray for, be praying for some very specific things, and um, we have these invitation cards on the back that Kyle made for us that if you want to take some, they're on the information desk, and you can invite your neighbors. We have about 140 kids signed up already with another 25 preschoolers in the back, so the um, young moms that are helping we love that, and so we do some childcare in the back for those that want to be here. So we are really, really excited about it, and we're just really asking you to pray for these little kids' hearts as they come, and just that they be open to the leading of the Lord, because it's a, it's a fantastic week. So th those of you that are involved already, I'm so excited, and um, anybody or any teens out there who still want to be involved, you can email me, and we'd love to have you. So thanks Amen. for asking. Amen. Yeah. About over, a little bit over 50 years ago, um, I had my first uh, VBS experience, and honestly, that's really where the Lord drew me in, was at Vacation Bible School. And uh, I can still remember, um, I remember a lot about snack time, and uh, <laughs> that we had red Kool-Aid with a lot of sugar in it. But I remember that after snack time and after, we would, we would hear the message. And um, it's just something special when, when, you get, when kids get to hear that. Amen. Amen. Um, I just, as we prepare our hearts for prayer this morning, I'm just going to read 140, Psalm 147, verse 11 again. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Let's pray. Lord, we just, uh, we thank you for your marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, Lord. Your sure and steadfast love that you freely give us. Um, this morning we would remember the suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the cross for our sin. Lord, we're, you, you are truly worthy of all the blessing, honor, and glory this morning, and we pray that everything we do here would glorify you. We're so thankful that we can meet here, open our Bibles, and freely worship you. Uh, we think of fellow believers uh, around the world, our friends who are persecuted for their faith, Lord. On this Memorial Day weekend, we are thankful for those who gave their lives to protect our freedom that we have in this country. Lord, comfort the ones, uh, the loved ones, and the families of those who have died in service to our nation and paid that ultimate price. 
Uh, we thank you for the body of Christ here at Providence. We pray for the international students' ministries, Lord, and that those uh, who are involved would continue to be able to impact the students' lives and uh, the discipleship and, tr and teaching would continue to go on. But we do pray for those um, who are going home this summer, those who have made a profession of faith, Lord. Um, we would help them to uh, impact their families and communities with the life-changing message of Jesus. Uh, we do again pray for the upcoming VBS, Vacation Bible School, Lord. We, we just ask that you prepare the hearts and minds of the children who, who will participate. And we pray that those uh, who are serving and leading would be able to model the love of Christ to those kids and ultimately that the, your word would go forth, Lord. Um, we pray for aftershock. We ask that you would continue to use Caleb to bring your word to the students each week. Help the relationships of the leaders and the young peoples that have been built to continue as life groups are finishing up for another year, Lord, and as we prepare this summer, um, we just pray that you would add to our group um, and that more kids would come and hear your word. Uh, we pray for the women's ministry. We thank you for uh, those that, that the, attended the event uh, this past Thursday of this past week. We would continue to ask that you would build relationships um, with these women together. We'd really pray the same thing for men's ministry and that the ministry of men move, you know, meeting together and coming to these events, they would be strengthened um, and that the discipleship would be strong. We pray for the gathering of young men that has started with Craig and Eric Linder um, and Ian being involved in that ministry and we, we would just pray that you would add men to their group as they disciple one another. Um, Lord, and uh, we would also ask this morning that you would uh, strengthen Zach Perkins after having surgery on Friday. We pray for this brother, Lord. Um, we pray that he would get rest. He would continue to, to be strong in his recovery. We just pray that you would help the doctors and Zach's family as they make decisions that will impact his uh, his uh, uh, medical future. Lord, and as we are about to read your scriptures together, we ask that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. And as you teach us through the Holy Spirit here this morning, in your name, amen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We are in Luke 8, starting at verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Dresdenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. 
Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Please be seated. Man, thank you, Garrett. We begin today with a non-biblical fable, uh, the scorpion and the frog. That a scorpion and a frog uh, met one day at the side of the riverbank and they needed to get across. And the scorpion looks at the frog and says, well, why don't you let me hop on your back and you'll just take me across and we'll both make it over safely. And the frog looks at the scorpion and says, well, what are you crazy? How do I know you're not gonna sting me? And the scorpion says, well, if I, if I sting you, then we're both going to die. Frog says, that sounds pretty reasonable. And so scorpion climbs on the frog's back and they begin to make their way across the river until about three quarters of the way across that the scorpion then stings the frog. And the frog, just as he's feeling the paralysis set in, he cries out to the scorpion. He said, why did you do that? Now we're both going to die. And the scorpion says, because that's my nature. Now that fable is often told uh, to capture an idea that I actually think is quite deeply held among a lot of us. And that is that, that people and things don't change. That even when a particular behavior or a mindset is self-destructive, even to the point of death, we continue to plow through that path to our own demise. And it is in fact one of the great questions, isn't it? Do people change? I think we might concede a little bit of ground here. We say, well, yeah, I mean, people can change incrementally. There are certainly cosmetic alterations. There's behavior modification. You know, maybe with the, you just kind of put the right formula in over time, maybe people can change. But deep down, we're really suspicious of whether or not there's true and lasting change from the inside out. And this is especially the case when we come across somebody who's so far gone well, that person is, is, is way out there. I mean, they're just in such trouble. They've dashed their life against the rocks to such an extent. There's no calling them back. And, and I really think it's best to just kind of let them go their own way. That, I think, is our deeply held belief. In today's passage, what we're going to see is a dramatic life change. Not one based on cosmetic alterations or behavior modification, but one that's changed by the power and word of the Lord Jesus. That Luke is making his case. Remember, this is a Greco-Roman biography, the kind of splash that Jesus made among his followers. And what Luke's saying is that there's no power nor problem too great for Jesus. He's Lord of all. 
not only is there no problem or power too great, but actually it's quite easy for him. One little word controls nature. It controls the aspect of forgiveness. He can raise people from the dead, that he controls all things and can even work change in the lives of people who seem to be uh, lost forever. So that's the story today as we turn our attention to this Gerasen demoniac. And what we'll do is we'll look at what this man is like before, then the encounter with Jesus, and then what he looks like after, and then a response. So four kind of moves today, and first we'll see uh, this man's ailment. And when we look at this man's ailment, we're offended, aren't we? Just like last week, uh, modern sensibilities are offended that Jesus's uh, words command the wind and the waves. We talked a bit about that, how to process that as moderns. And today we meet something else that's probably, maybe perhaps even more offensive, is that this man's real issue is that he's possessed by demons. Forces of darkness. You say, well, how are we really supposed to process that uh, here in Avon in 2021? How might we think about that? So what I'd like to do, just a few kind of inroads to say, how might we process this? First, I, I think it's best to think of demons as agents of the realm of darkness. That Satan is real, the powers and principalities that try to pull people away from God and to be self-destructive are real, that they're really agents of the realm of of darkness. And you see what we do, what we've been trained to do, is that we all acknowledge that the world is a, 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 in a lot of pockets, in a lot of places, even very close to where we sit today, say so there are a lot of very bad and bleak things out there. We all agree on that. And what we've been trained to do is to um, explain all of the, the worst parts of our society in completely naturalistic terms. We say, yeah, that's a actually a very terrible thing, a very, a very bad thing indeed, but we all know that person had a very rough childhood. Or we say, well, you know, that person didn't have the opportunities that we did, or there's a chemical imbalance there. In other words, we all agree there's some real problems out there, some really evil stuff, but we're more comfortable explaining it in purely naturalistic terms. And what I'd like us to think about today is that is there a little, a little gap in your worldview, a little window to say, you know what, I actually think that there are powers at play that are really dark and that are supernatural. And I hope that some of you don't need any convincing. You say, I've seen things in my life. I have no problem thinking that there are powers of darkness out there. Others of us need to think about this a bit more deeply. Are there portals, doors in our lives where we can let in forces that can really push us around and take us over? And I say the answer to that is yes. So I thought about how to explain this. I thought of, of one instance that popped into my mind Hard to believe it's been 13 years ago now, but there was a, a young actor, a lot of you remember, his name, name was Heath Ledger. He was an up-and-coming star, he was very handsome. Uh, the trajectory was looking very good for his life, and he was cast to play the Joker in the Batman movies. And the Joker's a very sinister character, actually. I mean, murderous and evil to the core. And as Ledger is um, kind of, people are following his demise and he's making these comments, what he was saying is that it was very difficult for him to mimic and embody such an evil, uh, an evil persona that he began to be drawn into that murderous way of thinking and that, that evil and that, that purely uh, sadistic mindset and it destroyed him, it began, he stopped, he stopped sleeping, he had insomnia, he'd wake up in a panic, that the drugs kind of kept coming, that he was you know, kind of lost, eventually the drugs took him. And I, I have to be careful here, because I don't want anybody you know, to walk away. So well, what did Pastor Shaw say today? He said, you know, Heath Ledger was demon possessed. You say, that, that's not while I'm bringing this up. I'm bringing it up to ask the question whether or there are certain portals that can be open in the life of the human 
in, in, a, in a homo sapien, in a person, that allows in powers of darkness that cannot be explained naturalistically. And I hope that your worldview says, you know what, there are real forces out there, satanic powers, dark things in life, that when we behave a certain way, we pollute our body, we go there in our mindsets, that it's very dark indeed. Think of our world. Astrology, Ouija boards, extreme sexual immorality, all kinds of drugs. Say, can that open the window to powers that are so dark that will distort who we are? Say, I think the answer to that is yes. You know, last night I was at uh, Matt and Sandy's uh, wonderful wedding reception, and I sat down next to a retired FBI agent who worked in the, in the drug uh, trafficking uh, realm of the FBI, and so he'd be the one to go in and, and you know, do the sting and get the drugs. So he met a lot of the, what we'd call the criminal underbelly, and I asked him, you know, I have Luke, I have Luke 8 on the mind, of course, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, my inner monologue kicks in. I'm like, I, I really have a question for this guy after exchanging pleasantries. Do I ask it or not? He's probably going to think I'm weird. Oh, I, I'm I'm going to ask it. So here's what I I said, when you dealt with those kinds of figures, did it ever cross your mind that there were demons involved? <laughs> he laughed out loud, long pause, really long pause. And he said, uh, yeah, yeah, there were some like that. And I guess that's just what I want us to see. You say, we're so used to explaining everything naturalistically. Are there some things in the world that you say, yeah, we're not dismissing those naturalistic forces, but there are some things that are so dark and so bleak that then we're, when they're dabbled in, that they really open up, so to speak, the gates of hell because Satan has been allowed in. Does your worldview permit that? Does it permit demons? I hope so. Satan is real. Demons are real. There are real portals we can open up and be pushed around, of course, before we're Christians. Another perspective on this. hope this is helpful. The view of, of taking everything naturalistically is actually a very Western thing to do. So at this very moment, there are actually hundreds of millions of people on this globe that attribute a lot to spirits and demons. And so are we so arrogant to think, well, you know, all those people are kind of, you know, they're looney tunes thinking that there's a spiritual realm and we've got it right because we know there's things like bad education and chemical imbalances and everything, all the evil in the world can be explained that way. Or do we have something to learn from our fellow human beings across the globe that actually give a lot more credence to dabbling in the dark forces of the universe. The Bible's clear. There are powers and principalities that we can open portals, that demons are real, that we can be pushed around, and that there are some things so dark that they really can overtake us. And that's where we meet the Gerasene demoniac. A few features about him from the text. Now, notice verses 27 and 28. One thing we can say for sure about him is that he is a man enslaved. That he is a man controlled by impulses outside himself. That you, you feel for him, right? That there's a, a duality in him. Say, yeah, that, you know, he, he's a, a person, right? But there's actually something that's overtaken him that's causing him to, to convulse, to uh, speak randomly, and to, to do all kinds of crazy things. That he's a person, but he's completely controlled by another impulse, in this case, a demonic impulse, that he has given up any, any uh, you know, aspect of freedom in his life or, or any uh, kind of self-determining end himself, which we'd say that's kind of what it means to be human, right? To self-determine. No, he's been completely overtaken. He's been enslaved to other impulses. There is no freedom there. Say, a lot of us know that the deepest impulse of our lives is often freedom, and it's a terrible place to be, 
when you're controlled by an outside force or an outside impulse. You say, that's what demons can do and what they've done here, that they've overtaken this man. He's completely enslaved. He's being forced to do things against his otherwise normal will. Also notice verse 27. How's this man described? He's dehumanized. That he's described as an animal. Do you see that? That he's out there, he's worn no clothes, so he's out running around naked. He didn't own a house, and where is he of all places? If he's not out in the desert, then he's in the tombs. And you say, don't think tombs. You think, well, I quite like graveyards and those stones and seeing all the old war heroes. Say, it's probably not that kind of tomb. It's probably more like caves. That this guy's described as a beast. There's nothing human about him. You know, about... Mark describes the same story. He adds another little detail. Say, take the imagery a bit further. Say, you picture this guy, right? You're among the people of the Gerasenes. You know about him. Mark says, well, he, he started to, to slash himself and cut himself with the stones. Can you picture him there? Out of his mind, speaking crazy things, naked, running around the tombs, bloodied because of his own flagellants. So he's a terrifying scene. This is the kind of thing where you're like, we, we have no idea what this guy is going to do. He, he is really, really out of his mind. We've got no solutions for somebody like this because he's just so far off. He's completely enslaved, enslaved to outside impulses. He's dehumanized. He's nothing more than a beast naked and running around. What else about him? Verse 28. That the demons recognize Jesus. There's a little sidebar there. You notice everywhere demons are mentioned in the Bible, they're, they're really good theologians. <laughs> that the demons are quite orthodox in their understanding of Jesus. But what happens here, actually, is that they're tormented. Why are the demons tormented? Because darkness hates light. That if you read John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, right? That Jesus came into the world as light, and the darkness that comes in on all of us, right? Ephesians 5, 8, that strange line, you were sometimes darkness, meaning all the people who've been Christians, right? We were once in the darkness, right? That we shy away from the light. I know that's been true in my life. Say, when I do things that I know are in the dark and sinful, say, I really don't want them to be brought out into the light before the judge of all. The same thing is at play here, that the demons who are controlling this guy, he makes this utterance, a completely pagan utterance of the Most High God, but he's tormented by the, the, the aspect of Jesus because he is embodied by darkness and darkness hates the light. Say, what a picture we have of this guy. And what do we do now with folks like this? You say, well, a lot like what they did back then. Well, maybe not the medication aspect, but what we would do is we'd, we'd give this kind of person a ton of medication and we'd lock them up. I have no bit of wisdom. Uh, there's no kind of re-education. There's no kind of dialogue. This is a, a hopeless cause that this uh, is a person who's completely, completely out, out, out there and there's no hope to be had. That that's what the demoniac is like. He's enslaved. He's dehumanized. He hates Jesus. He's tormented by the light. Is there any hope at all? Now, wonderfully, there is. Because the loftiest personage in the history of the world enters the scene, the Lord Jesus. And I mention it here, the courage. The courage and power of Jesus comes into the scene. And you know, there's, uh, 
I think courage is one of the most underestimated aspects of, of Jesus, right? Say, but we're, the reason why Jesus is the greatest leader, the archetypal leader for all leaders, is because there are scenes in the New Testament where he's gentle and lowly and meek and kind and humble. Say all those wonderful attributes. But then there are passages like this where you see the sheer courage that he's unfazed by this kind of demonic possession. And with one little word, Jesus does what nobody else could do. The devil flee out of him. One word from Jesus. How many times have we seen that in just these few chapters of Luke? Say, whether it be the stormy seas or the raising of the dead, one little word from Jesus and all the dark impulses and forces of the world and the things caving in on our minds that they flee because he's the Lord of all. Now, what happens then? Say, Jesus, again, in an act of great courage, casts out the demons very, very easily. But that next detail is odd. That they say, right, the demons say, Jesus, please don't send us to hell. We know that we're going to be judged, as all the demonic forces are, that all the entire realm of darkness, Satan, that they will be cast upon the lake of fire, that Jesus is judge of all. He's going to cast them all into the abyss. He says, please don't, they say, the demons say, please don't cast us into the abyss yet. And they ask permission to go into a herd of pigs. A herd's a large number of pigs. And Jesus grants this request and authors it, and the demons go out of the man, the many, many demons, into the herd of pigs, so much so that the pigs go down the hillside into the lake and drown. Why does God preserve this detail for us? Why are we thinking about that on this Memorial Day weekend? Say, I don't know. I have, I think, a thought that fits in the text. See what you think. Jesus does this so that it's memorable and visible. That had he just given the demons their, their justice right there at the moment, say, cast the demons down into the abyss, you say, well, yeah, yeah he did that, but it, it wasn't put on display. And so in a way, God in his infinite wisdom gives us this memorable picture. And quite frankly, he gives the garrisons the memorable picture. He says, I'm going to do something dramatic, something that's so undeniably visible. He casts out the demons into the pigs, this extraordinary scene where they drive down the hill and they're all drowned. Why? Because it sticks on our brains and we can't deny it. No doubt that those demons will be judged in the abyss. But we remember this, don't we? The authority of Jesus over the demonic realm is something that can't be doubted. Now, What I just said makes a lot of people angry these days. Do you know why, right? It's a lot of pigs that died. So what does this tell us? Again, it's here before us. The salvation of one human soul is more important than a herd of swine. Again, we've been trained not to think that way. So I did... Q&As at the old church I was at, and inevitably at those Q&As, the question would come up, say, well, is my pet going to be in heaven with me? I say, I always walked away thinking, I wish that person was half, con- you know, half as concerned about their unconverted neighbor who's going to spend an eternity away from Jesus rather than their soulless pet. See, what Jesus does here. He says that the, the, the soul of this garrison demoniac is, is of such infinite value that he would be redeemed and restored. You say, even on this, this instance, right, that the demonstration with the pigs 
is going to be at the expense of his salvation. And why this, again, is so, so difficult these days, because you're witnessing kind of a, a twofold trajectory in, in, the secular, in uh, the secular world, right? On the one hand, what we have among the animal activists is the personification of animals. So animals are raised up and given qualities and souls and, and things that only belong to humans. So you have the personification of animals. And at the same time, another flank of secular thinking animalizes humans. That there's nothing special about us. We don't really have rational qualities that are you know, qualitatively different than the other animal realm. So you've got this kind of twofold movement here where animals are personified and persons are animalized. And consequently, we get very confused on this. And you say, well, what does the biblical view teach? Humans are the crown of creation, that we've been given a mandate to exercise dominion, that we are stewards over God's creation. And at the same time, animals are creatures of God that we are to, again, look after as he would want us to. You say there's no injunction in the Bible to ever be cruel to animals, right? You're never going to find in the Bible to, to mistreat them, to treat them harshly, to take it, say that is not in the Bible. Why? What are we? We say, yes, we're, we're different than the animals, but we're to exercise dominion and stewardship. And I think that is the healthy view to say, yes, we appreciate God's creatures, that we value them and all their diversity. We treat them kindly and never cruelly, but we also recognize that there's something in the human soul that is very different than the animal kingdom and this message of the garrison demoniac tells us that right that the value of this man's soul is of infinite worth and the, the the point here is that jesus jesus does very easily what nobody else can do nobody tried to help him everybody's terrified of him he's a lost cause and with one word jesus changes him so the demoniac before like a beast tormented by Jesus. The courage and power of Jesus enters and redeems this man's soul, and you see, what is he like after? So verse 33, that the demons leave, they flee the man. All of a sudden, he finds himself liberated, that outside impulse that was forcing him to do things, right? This uh, self-harmful things, that those demons flee at the word of Jesus, and this man finds himself free. How about verse 35? What a contrast that the man is found sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Say, what are those all of a sudden? You go back, say, he's been what? He's been, he's been humanized. He's been restored to his rational faculties. He's clothed. He's been made what he's supposed to be, right? A, a human being. You say, that is a wonderful thing. You know, I meet a lot of folks. They think surrendering to Jesus is going to take away my real humanity. Say, if I really surrender to Jesus and I take that God business seriously, then I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do, that I'm not going to you know, be self-actualized. I'm not going to flourish as a person. Say, it's the exact opposite. That when we cast God aside, when we do our own thing, we inevitably find ourselves enslaved to some kind of addiction or some kind of behavior, and we become a shell of ourselves. We, we cast our lives against the rock. You say, we cast God and Jesus aside. We become less human. When we surrender to Jesus, we become more human. If you had to answer the question, you say, who is the most the most full human who ever walked the earth? Who, who was the, the human who flourished the most, who was completely at ease with this place in the world, who, who really, you just said, that's someone to be, well, it's certainly Jesus, isn't it? Jesus embodied what it meant, meant to be really human. And so 
what we find paradoxically is the most human we can be is at the feet of Jesus. That this man, as he comes into relationship with him, regains, he comes out of the darkness, comes out of behaving like a beast, gets his rational faculties in his right mind, and sits at the feet of Jesus. And thirdly, connected with that, amazingly, <laughs> Jesus makes this guy a preacher. Does that make you think less of preachers? Maybe, but say, God, uh, there's an old saying that uh, God has to keep his most rebellious children close, so he makes them preachers. Uh, so this might be one of those cases, but this garrison demoniac, you see what he does. Jesus says, you return to your home, declare how much God has done for you, verse 39, and he goes away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Instead of being tormented by Jesus in the light, he can't wait to speak about the liberation he's experienced, the full humanness that he's experienced being under Jesus. So he goes from enslaved to free, from animal-like to humanized, and from being tormented by the light to a great proclaimer of the light. Now you think here, this is a, actually quite a nice story, isn't it? If you just end there, it's a nice story. This guy is way at it, you know, we have no solution for this. Jesus comes in, guy's restored, let's call it a day. However, verse 34 and beyond gives just as much intention to the response of this. And if you take, uh, you know, your red pen or something this week, notice how many times from verse 34 down, how many times the verb see or saw, its cognates are used, the see, seen, saw. Say, all these folks in the region of the Gerasenes, they see this. There are witnesses to this, that they have all the data that they need to make a good, you would think, you would think that they would see something like this and they say, this is, we, we have met, you know, the, the one whom we need. But instead, what do they do? Verse 37, what Pastor Caleb would have us think about is the depravity factor in our souls. What do they do? Then all the people of the surrounding countryside of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got in the boat, and Jesus goes to the other side. They ask him to leave. You say, why would they do that? Were they upset about their financial losses? It's possible. I mean, that, again, a lot of pigs. You say, this guy's bad news. He's going to cost us money. Uh, is it because of just the sheer display of power, you know, kind of being terrified? Like, look at what he did to those pigs. We don't want to have anything to do with it. Is it because he disturbed their routine? Well, we like having that crazy guy under our control, and we like, you know, gathering up the fellows to go bind him up every once in a while. We don't want our system to be disturbed. Or is it because that Jesus did what they couldn't do? Is it just old-fashioned jealousy? Why did they ask him to leave? And I think that the real answer is they ask him to leave because they know that this activity and this display leaves them with only two decisions. And one of those decisions is to surrender to Jesus because he's clearly Lord of all. That just like in the parable of the soils and all the other stories we've been looking at, these historical narratives, is that Jesus' activity brings everybody to a decision. It's not a matter, you say, somebody says, Shaw, you put God under a microscope. If he did a miracle in front of me, you know, if I just had the stuff, if I was just able to see it and have real eyewitnesses, then I would believe, say, it never works that way. All these people saw, they had all the data, they had the eyewitnesses. What they were confronted with is bowing their knee to the Lordship of Jesus. And instead of doing that, surrendering their lives to Jesus, they say, get him out of here. 
I don't want that. No thanks. And can you see how there's no middle ground here? Either Jesus did this or he didn't. If he did this, he's the Lord of all. He's the only one who can change lives. He deserves our supreme, our only allegiance that we should be like the demoniac going out and proclaiming him. Or I'm afraid, I do fear, that each and every week we have some garrisons here. I know that Jesus demands my life. And I see in him what there isn't anywhere else. But I'm not going to surrender to that Jesus. I'm going to continue to do my own thing. And I pray today, if that's you, if you're in the camp of these garrisons, that you would think to confess your sins, to say, Jesus, I need you, and I've rebelled against you, and I've not surrendered to you, even though I've had the data, I've heard the messages preached, I've got it all there in front of me, but I just won't bow the knee. May you confess that today. Say, make today the great day of rejoicing. See that God put forth Jesus on the cross, right, to suffer the just condemnation that we deserve for ignoring God, ignoring our Creator. Say, God put forth Jesus. There's something utterly unique there. I confess and I surrender, and in that, I will be more free and more humanized and given the purpose to proclaim. So you surrender to Jesus today. Or alternatively, those of us who've been Christians, let's throw a little lesson from this demoniac. We've been changed from the inside out, not behavior modification, not cosmetic alterations, but we've been given a new heart from God, right? He's the only one who can do it. And you say practical applications, I know we think about prison ministry and ministry in the psych ward, or you have a crazy relative and you're really much more inclined to say, you know what, just kind of cast him aside. Does this give us reason to pause? Say, there's wonderful power in the name of Jesus that we would live it out, that we would trust it, that we would go out and proclaim it, and that we would really realize a life surrendered to Jesus is the best human life to live. That's when we're most humanized, not when we're least humanized. I pray that's close to our hearts today. Jesus has changed the lives of the Christians. He can change your life too as you surrender to him. What a lesson we have. I'll invite the team back up. Lord, what a memorable scene you've saved for us today. This herd of swine running down the hill and being drowned and saying, what do we do with this Jesus? All the problems in the world, all the darkest forces to being in, in, in dark places ourselves, say all these things, just at the simple word of Jesus, they bow to him. Lord, help us to see that that presses us in that to, to a place of no middle ground. Either we say this is all, you know, this is all just phony stuff made up and I don't want to have anything to do with him. And we ask Jesus to, to get out and he's a gentleman. He leaves. Lord, I pray there's no one here like that today, but rather we'd be like this demoniac to say, I've been changed and I want to proclaim that I want to live it out. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's, as we would say, in a dark place, that they've maybe given a demon a foothold by a portal of drug use or behavior, and there's a real darkness setting in on the mind. I pray today that there's a great a liberating message in here to say, you know what, if Jesus enters in, that I can be free, that I can be whole, 
that I can have something beyond my normal day-to-day activity that I can live for. I pray that's the case, that we would surrender to you afresh. Lord, may we never give up on your power. May we trust in it. May we trust in how you can change us. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, church, let's respond singing to the Lord. Let's stand together. sorrow, dead in my sin, lost without hope, no place to begin, your love made a way to let mercy come me, when death was arrested, my life
from 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. May this weekend we be thankful for our civil liberties, but also for our spiritual liberties granted to us by the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom there's freedom and change and hope and joy and purpose. Now unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence, faultless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, honor, dominion, and authority through all the ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Happy Memorial Day. Yeah. Do you guys have any plans? Yeah. Go to my parents.